probably are familiar with, and that would be King Josiah. Now, our son Jesiah is often called Josiah, but we were, where did I put it? There it is. We were looking for a, a name that would be in honor of Kelly's dad as well as my dad and something a little bit different as far as spelling because, I don't know, we're just kind of odd that way, I guess. We like a little bit different spellings, like Eric is A-R-I-C. And autocorrect never gets it right or talk to text. They always want to say E-R-I-C. I always have to go back, it seems like, and correct and make it A-R-I-C. But uh, Jesiah is one of David's mighty men, and so we liked that name and chose that name, but it's okay if you call him Josiah. Um, but Josiah, the king, is Second Chronicles chapter 34, and he is one of the few good kings in the southern kingdom of Judah. As we know the history of Israel, there was the split after Solomon between Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And the southern kingdom included the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And the southern kingdom was the only kingdom that had any kings that did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The northern kingdom, not a single king was said to have done right in the eyes of the Lord. And in 722 B.C., the evil, wicked nation of Assyria swept down and conquered the northern kingdom. But because there had been some righteousness and some fear of God in the southern kingdom, God spared Judah for uh, roughly 150 or so more years. And it wasn't until 586 B.C. that the southern kingdom was completely conquered. There were two other stages of conquest before that. Daniel and his friends were taken in 605 B.C. And then in 597 B.C. there was another sweep by Nebuchadnezzar through the southern kingdom. But in 586 B.C. Jerusalem uh, was conquered. Josiah reigned around 640 B.C., for 31 years. So the estimate is 640 to 609 BC, roughly based on what we know from historical records and from biblical records. He would have reigned around 640 BC. He was the last good king of the southern kingdom. And what an incredible revival he brought to the southern kingdom. And it just, again, is a reminder that God does desire for there to be repentance, for there to be revival, even when there is unspeakable evil going on around. Second Chronicles chapter 33 describes Manasseh and then Josiah's father, Ammon. And Manasseh had a, a turning to the Lord, but sadly, uh, there was a lot of wickedness and idolatry during his kingdom. But then Ammon, we read, this is Josiah's father, in, excuse me, in 2 Chronicles 33, verse 22, but he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as did Manasseh his father. For Ammon sacrificed unto all the carved images which Manasseh his father had made, and served them, and humbled not himself before the Lord, as Manasseh his father had humbled himself. 
But Ammon trespassed more and more, and his servants conspired against him and slew him in his own house. But the people of the land slew all them that had conspired against King Ammon, and the people of the land made Josiah his son king in his stead. Second Chronicles 34, in verse number 1, tells us that Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Eight years old. Now, I'm going to pick on Dan's, Dan Clark's grandson for just a minute here. Chase, how old are you? You're 10. Can you imagine being king two years ago? That's a big responsibility, isn't it? Josiah became king at eight years of age. Now, I'm sure he had some help. I'm sure he had some people around him that were assisting him, that were giving him uh, some maturity and some wisdom, hopefully, and, and helping him along. I mean, the, the, the poor guy had to grow up fast, didn't he? And uh, we uh, sometimes see kids who get thrust into some difficult home situations or their circumstances are, are, are hard. And we, we, we pray for them. We re- reach out to them. We try to help them in any way that we can. And here we see that his father was assassinated. He's king now at age eight. His grandfather had just a short period of time where he did right. His father was a wicked king, and so the land is rampant with idolatry and immorality and all of the worship that went with the idolatry and the the false gods of the day. So Josiah, at eight years of age, is king, and he's having to look out among the kingdom, having had a bad example of a father who is now dead, having had a grandfather who wasn't the best example, but at least later in life, humbled himself for a period of time and had a measure of righteousness. And that's the circumstances in which Josiah becomes king and is being raised up. But we see, first of all, that he determined that he was going to please God. Second Chronicles 34 and verse 1, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem one and thirty years. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. At the age of 16, he has a determination that even though he's a teenager, even with really two bad examples in his life, his father and his grandfather, except for the short period of time where his grandfather did what was right, here he is at age 16, and he determines that he's going to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. And God blesses it. Now what does that say about us? We live in a wicked world. We don't even have all the circumstances that Josiah had. Can we not have the same determination that Josiah? Does that not speak to our young people who at the young age of 16, the very, very young age of 16, can, can that not be an example to our young people as well as to us, uh, the older people? of how we can determine to please the Lord and God will honor that 
it may be difficult. I cannot imagine at 16 years of age, who are you to say we can't do this or we can do this? Who are you to say that that image has to come down, that that altar has to come down, that that idol has to come down? And sometimes we feel that way, right? The resistance. We feel like there's been bad examples and we make all the excuses as to why we can't serve the Lord. It's too hard. It's too much work. There's too much required. There's too much resistance. People will laugh at me. People will make fun of me. People will look down at me. People will say negative things against me. It's just too hard. Can you imagine Josiah at age 16, how hard it was? And he did what even some of the kings did not do. Even some of the good kings didn't take down the high places, didn't take down the groves up in the hills. Oh, they took care of the, the things down in the cities and in the towns. But there were those hidden places up in the groves, up on the hillsides, up on the mountainsides. There were altars up there to the false gods that they would sneak away sometimes, even among the, the good kings. There would be those hidden places that were not given over to the Lord, and there would be false religion practiced up on the hills, up on the mountainsides. Josiah even tore those down. He was determined that there was going to be a new beginning in Judah, in the southern kingdom. He determined to please God. It's a reminder of how we can decide right now to put away all the excuses and to give our lives for the service of the Lord in obedience and in holiness. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Daniel purposed in his heart there in the University of Babylon that he was going to please the Lord, that he was going to do what was right. And he could have died right there in the University of Babylon as a freshman in his orientation meeting when he said, we are not going to participate in the king's diet. We are asking for an exemption. And right then and there, at the orientation meeting for the University of Babylon, he and his friends could have been executed. But they determined they were going to please the Lord. They went honorably to the king's assistant, and God blessed and God honored so we see also that we should have a determination to have a good testimony for others to see. People are watching. People are watching. I know I live in a glass house, and my kids live in a glass house. And I, I'm thankful for the kindness and the compassion and the, the understanding of so many people through the years, both at our former ministry and here. It's no fun sometimes to be a PK. I get it. I understand. And it wasn't fun for them to be the double PK at our former ministry because I was not only on pastoral staff, but I was also the principal. So they were the PK squared. And so they, they, had, the, they had the double duty of, or the, the double uh, magnifying glass. And, and it's tough sometimes. And I understand I live in a glass house as a pastor, but that's part of the calling. That's part of the responsibility. And if I don't embrace that, if my family doesn't embrace that as the grace of God and the mercy of God, then we don't belong in the ministry. And God gives grace and God gives mercy. But even if we're not in a vocational ministry, do we not have a testimony? Do we not have a responsibility to share the light to be the salt and the light? 
let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We're to let our light shine before men that they may see our good works, the good works that glorify God. We all have influence. As a big brother or a big sister, you have influence on your younger siblings. Have you thought about that as a big brother or big sister? Moms and dads, tremendous influence. What about the people in your, as roommates or in your workplace? What about your, your, your family and your extended family? Think about how many people we influence and how we affect. Now, each person is responsible for their choices before God, but we do have influence. Do we have a determination that our testimony is going to be right? That we're not going to bring reproach upon the name of Christ. We see that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. That's where we have to determine, first of all, that our actions, our behavior, our words, and our thoughts are, first of all, going to be right in the eyes of the Lord. But if they're right in the eyes of the Lord, there's going to be a measure then of influence for righteousness in our homes, in our workplaces, in our places of recreation. It's, it's amazing as we get older and we realize how our life impacts other people. It's amazing how that comes back as God reminds us of our influence and our testimony. And sometimes we don't even realize it until years later. Or there was a little set of eyes that was watching. A little set of ears that was listening. And they are... They are watching to see how we're going to react in a situation. What's going to come out of our mouth? What we're going to click on? What we're going to swipe on? They're watching. And it, it, it even has to do with the road sometimes. And the people that we are influencing as we drive. And are we giving people wrong gestures? Are we cussing at the people in the vehicles around us and our kids are sitting there listening to us call the, the dr- other drivers certain names that are unrepeatable. Now, my dad was not vulgar, thankfully, but my dad had a particular name for the bad drivers around the city of Indianapolis. And uh, it wasn't a vulgar name. You can ask me later what he said. But I've tried not to call the other drivers in Lafayette or Indianapolis that, that word. But... We get frustrated, don't we? In so many ways, in so many different things. What is our influence? He walked in the ways of David, his father. What would, would, would that be our testimony? I know David had his issues. David had his problems. David had his failures. But would there be, whether it be at our funeral, at our eulogy, at our funeral, or, or just in general as people talk about us, would there be this statement? That my children walked in my ways. And in walking in my ways, they were walking in the ways of the Lord. They were doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. That's convicting, isn't it? In preparing for this, that brought conviction. Would, would, would it be said that my children walked in their dad's ways? And if so, would that bring reproach upon Christ? Or would that point them to the Lord and point others to the Lord. Would it even be said, walked in the ways of his father or his mother, who was such a righteous, godly, God-fearing individual that to be 
said, for it to be said that they walked in their parents' name, in their, in their parents' ways, excuse me, that to do so was to honor the Lord and to bring glory to God. That's a rebuke. For all of David's faults and his failures, he was a man whose heart was seeking after the Lord. He was a man after God's own heart, the Bible says. We also see that he stayed on track, as we just read there in verse number two. He remained faithful. He remained faithful. We sometimes, we get off to a good start. We get off to a shotgun start. We get off to a pistol start. You know how it is at those sprints. And I was watching a video the other day. It was kind of funny, and then it wasn't, because I would be that one who would trip over that first obstacle at the, 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 the race. And I'm not a track and field person, but whatever that first obstacle, whatever those obstacles are called in those track and field relays, and there were a whole bunch of them in a row. And it was, it was just a, a short video, and they all took off. You know, shotgun start, whatever, pistol was fired, and they took off. And everybody is jumping over those things. And that one guy, he got to the very first obstacle. He tripped, and he face-planted. I felt bad for him. I, I laughed a little bit, but I felt bad. And I was thinking, I, I would have done the same thing. I wouldn't have made it over the first one. And sometimes, that's the way it feels in life. But we get up, we brush ourselves off, and we continue to press toward the mark for the prize of the holy calling of God in Christ Jesus. There's another obstacle, isn't there? We've got to get ready to jump over that one. We've got to trust the Lord to help us get through that next trial, that next tribulation, that next temptation. But we keep our eyes on the Lord, we press toward the mark, we be strong in the Lord, and we see that with Josiah. He stayed on track. He stayed faithful. And then thirdly, he determined to remove those things that would hinder Israel's, Judah's walk with God. We need to do the same. Touched on this already. He purged Judah and Jerusalem of idols. We could go down. Again, we don't have time to, to go through the whole passage, but we see in verse 4, he break down the altars of Balaam, even up on the high places. He cut down even the groves, the carved images. He burnt the bones of the priests upon their altars. He cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. He was on a mission And he had a determination that there was going to be a full cleaning and cleansing. Now, I don't want to gross anybody out, but if you've ever had sickness in your house, and we just told this story the other day to somebody, but we had all four kids sick at the same time, and Kelly can tell the story better than me. I was able to go to the office and deal with all the things at school and and ministry that day while she had to deal with four puking kids and I got home, and I did what I could, and she was worn out, and she said, we are opening the windows, and it was, what, January, February? We opened up the windows, and we didn't care. It was 25 degrees. That breeze was coming through the house. We put on the blankets, but we cleaned that house. We cleaned the bathrooms. We had the windows open. We wanted those germs out of there, And we are so determined when we get germs and bacteria and sickness in our house to get rid of that. We get out the the Lysol and we empty a whole can. But we won't dare Lysol our souls. We won't dare Lysol our spirits. Ah, that bacteria, that germ, that little bit of sin, that little bit of flesh, that little bit of, of, of lust of flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Oh, it's no big deal. We would never want the pukes around our house without dealing with the germs. And yet we'll let all kinds of 
sinful germs permeate our, our lives. And we act like, well, we can deal with it. It's not that big a deal. But here we see Josiah. I mean, he went all out. And I can only imagine what it was like as he had his, I'm sure he didn't do it all by himself. He had other people who, yeah, they were obeying the king's orders, but there wasn't a mutiny, was there? There wasn't a rebellion. God was honoring him. He determined, and he said, this is what we're going to do because we're going to honor the Lord, and then we'll see later that he not only repaired uh, the temple, but he found the law of God and began to read it, had it read in front of the people, and it sparked a revival. What did he do? He brought the people back to this is what God's word says. We have forgotten it. We have ignored it. We have disobeyed God. And I don't care what everybody else thinks. I don't care if you don't like me as a king. I don't care if I only reign three months and I get kicked out. I'm going to determine to please the Lord for as long as I have. And God honored that, didn't he? God blessed that. And the word of God was read and a revival broke out. A revival broke out and the, the word of God spread throughout the kingdom. And God spared Judah. If he reigned in 640, and the first uh, attack from Babylon wasn't until uh, 605, at least God gave them another 35, 40 years. And in 586, before Jerusalem, he was the last good king. But it, do, it does show that God will spare, that God will bring a, a, a respite. God will bring a, a peace, a revival, if we just determine that we are going to please the Lord, that we're going to have a good testimony, and we're, going to re- and we're going to remove those things that hinder our walk with God. And again, it comes back to the Word of God and determining that we're going to follow God's Word, and obey God's Word, and with God's help, by His grace and with His power, we're going to be faithful, and we're going to be obedient, and we're going to do things according to the way God says that they should be done and how He says they should be done and honor and please Him and glorify Him in doing so. That brings us to our, uh, the end of our Bible study as the Kids for Truth is preparing to come in here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, I will uh, ask.